When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This month on Decompliance Life, I visit with Maria Devonzo. Maria is currently the chief product evangelist at Treliant. Maria has sat in the CCO chair at Cushman and Wakefield, the international real estate company. And in this podcast series, she details how she moved from a small business-oriented law practice into the field of compliance and into the CCO chair and now her role at Treliant. I know you'll enjoy this month's guest on The Compliance Life, Maria Navanzo. In this episode, Maria moves to the CCO chair. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Welcome back to this month's The Compliance Life. We're visiting with Maria Devonzo about her journey to and from the CCO chair. In this episode, we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into her role as Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer at Cushman and Wakefield. Maria, first of all, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. So, Maria, if I could maybe start with what were some of the key challenges you faced in the chair and maybe either some of the ways you overcame those challenges or how you were able to respond with those with your compliance team? Sure. As I was saying in the last episode, when I got to Cushman, they'd been in business for 94 years. They did not have a compliance function. They were seriously considering an IPO, which frankly was why they even brought me on at the time. They had 26,000 employees and they were operating in 50 countries across the globe, just to put it into perspective what their operation looked like. The only semblance of a compliance program they had at the time was a very short word document called the Code of Conduct which addressed the bare minimum. It didn't include issues like in a bribery nor economic sanctions. And I see that I have my work cut out for me when I look around and I wonder, frankly, if I'm over my skis. I experienced a little bit of imposter syndrome, I have to admit, until my husband reminded me of all the things that I had accomplished and pointed out, I have to say, he pointed out that a man in my position wouldn't be thinking the same way. 
So I decide he's right. And I fall back on the mantra of no challenge, no change. And I move. But the biggest challenge there was just having a, was initially having to build a program. I was the architect of the compliance function at Cushman. And I built it from just myself and a code of conduct and leveraging a couple of lawyers around the world to what it was when I left a couple of weeks ago, which was a team of 23 compliance and data privacy professionals with a proper and what I call user-friendly code of conduct with Q&A type sections in it and resourcing. And then also 12 or so related core global compliance policies addressing bribery, due diligence, conflicts, sanctions, charitable donations, whistleblowing, vendor and supplier integrity, and then, of course, privacy. I put in place disclosure and approval processes and procedures for outside business activities and donations and gifts. And I rolled out a formal training program, which they didn't have at all. I decided we needed to train globally twice a year. And so we would we would train in Q1 on the Global Code of Business Conduct every year. And then in Q3, we would do a risk review I would do that with my team. And based on the types of investigations we were seeing, where they were happening in the business or where they were occurring geographically, we would decide upon an additional topic that needed needed attention and some additional education that year. During COVID, it was interesting because we had planned to roll out anti-bribery and corruption training in that Q3. But we pivoted and we rolled out business integrity. We were a little concerned that during COVID, some of those business guys to which you referred in the last session would be a little bit more focused on profit generating, revenue generating at all costs, given the environment that we were in at the time. And so we thought it would be tone deaf, frankly, to train on ABAC in that context. And we decided to roll out a business integrity training in which which we told our business people, look, guys, it's okay. It's okay to say no. It's okay to turn work away. And I had the support of senior leadership, senior management in making that decision. In fact, the training messaging came out from uh, members of senior leadership in order to drive that point home. And that was one way that we were able to overcome some of the challenges of having folks not think about the ethics and compliance impact of their activity and worrying more about the money, and that is by A, training, and B, more importantly, having the support of visually of, of senior leadership when we did that. We also would roll, we would roll out regional trainings based on what might be appropriate to the region. For example, our EMEA businesses in, 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 in the UK and mainland Europe were subject to specific AML requirements, while our US businesses were not. And so we rolled out AML training in EMEA, but not in the U.S. You know, personally, I felt it would have appeared tone deaf to both our regulators and our employees had we rolled out mail training globally. And so we made that conscious decision to, to focus where that training would go. Part of my role there also included reporting to the audit committee and meeting with our external auditors on a quarterly basis to discuss investigation metrics and trends. And I think that having that direct access to the audit committee and regular meetings on a quarterly basis at the same time as the the board meetings and the earnings helped to ensure that that the messaging was supported at the highest level of the organization, which also helped to overcome some of the difficulties that we we faced within, within the businesses themselves because they would see that I had the ear of the audit chair and folks would say, maybe this is something that, that I need to focus on. 
One of the other key things, and frankly, probably the favorite part, one of the favorites of my role as CCO at a publicly traded commercial real estate services firm was mentoring and talent development. Early on, as I said, it was just me. But I was able to hire a compliance analyst eventually, although I had to share her with one of the lawyers in the corporate secretarial group initially, and that changed along the way. But we had interviewed many people and we just couldn't find a fit. Our budget wasn't nearly what I would have liked it to be, so our options were limited. And one day I interviewed a young woman who was going to law school at night and working for an employment law firm during the day. And she had zero compliance experience, but she was very smart. She was eager for a change and she was clearly willing to work hard. Honestly, she reminded me of me. And I practically hired her on the spot. April, her name was April. We worked side by side for almost seven years. And she earned, I was going to say she, she moved up to, but she earned her way up from analyst to global compliance operations manager, overseeing ultimately our global vendor relationships, sanctions processing, training initiatives, board reporting, policy management, and pro- program governance. Last summer, she received the fantastic offer to join Deutsche Bank as a compliance uh, assistant vice president. She was so hesitant and afraid to let me know that she was leaving because we had developed such a great and deep personal and professional relationship. But I was so very proud of her. I wished her nothing but the best and even offered to help her pack. There are several other folks like that on my team with similar stories. My first privacy lead worked for me for almost three years. And like April, he too was early in his career, didn't have a lot of experience, but I saw potential and the desire to work hard. So I hired him. Today, he's data privacy counsel at Bloomberg. I call them all friends and I keep in regular contact with them and want to see how their careers play out and continue to continue to work with them and act as mentors for them. Lessons learned in my role as CCO and in my prior roles, frankly, the main one is that compliance is one of the hardest jobs, if not the hardest in any company. And I have to tell you, I feel vindicated in having that view by reading the keynote address by Kenneth Polite at, in May for, at the compliance week function, where he said he, he was a compliance officer too, and he acknowledged how hard that job is. Other members of senior leadership in my firm too have acknowledged it, but it is the, one of the hardest jobs in any corporation. To be effective, employees need to know who you are, they have to trust you, and they have to have faith in you. And they have to see you as a human being. One of Cushman's CEOs taught me that the best way to accomplish this is to go to where the employees are and to listen to them over a cup of coffee. At his urging and with his incredible support, I took a trip to our offices in China. I made presentations to employees, but the most impactful thing I did while I was there was sit in a conference room and schedule time for employees to come in one-on-one if they wanted to and chat with me for a little while. It was during those personal conversations that I learned about how to relate to different cultures effectively. I was drawing upon my people skills that I developed early in my career, which we've talked about previously, and I was able to make some of them feel comfortable enough to tell me about some very real concerns that they had, which, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Tom, is no easy task in China. Speaking up just isn't something that they do freely, and that's from a cultural perspective. I made similar trips too and had similar experiences in India and South America. And again, was able to draw on my ability to relate to people and some of that empathy that we talked about in other podcasts to open people up and let them share with me so that I could address some of the issues. I encountered the usual challenges that all compliance, chief compliance officers encounter, empowerment, resourcing, accesses, 
access, excuse me, seat at the table. And navigating these challenges was not easy. At the beginning, as I said earlier, there was a lot of change management involved. It became a little bit easier when we filed our IPO in 2018, but there was still a way to go. The key to navigating these challenges was creating relationships with people. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. That's the best advice I can give anybody, and that's the best advice that I've ever received. As I touched upon earlier, moving from financial services compliance to real estate was challenging because I didn't have that rule book anymore. And other than the FCPA, which is singularly focused, corporations really don't have any one particular rule book or framework to point to. And coupling that, as I said, with the fact that there was no compliance function at Cushman, that just presented me with some challenges. But I think I was able to overcome them and, and I built a really great program and I left some really great people. In Let me pick up on a couple of the points you raised. I've always been intrigued with the following question or issue. How do you develop a relationship with the chair of the audit committee? Is it your strategy of walking down to see them or when they're in the office having a cup of coffee with them? Do you try to talk to them outside the audit committee meetings? How does a CCO or CECO really develop that relationship so that if something does happen, you can pick up the phone and say, we've got this, I'm looking at it, but I've got it under control and I'll report back to you. How do you develop that trust? Yeah, at a high level, it's developing that relationship outside of outside of the boardroom. The way that I did it, I, and I was fortunate enough that our general counsel to whom I reported brought us together. And the first time after the IPO, when I was going to report to that audit committee before the meeting, he flew me out to Chicago. He flew her into Chicago from Dallas and we went out to lunch and we just chatted and we exchanged contact information and she she would call me, I would call her. We would talk informally about some of the things that I was seeing. And when I went to the audit committee meetings, there were, there were social gatherings, there were dinners. And I made sure that I would sit down and you know, just talk to her, just chat with her. You used a phrase a couple of times, tone deaf. And you used it in the context of rolling out training. And I wanted to maybe use that as a way to introduce a broader topic of in the compliance discipline inside of a corporation, your customers are your employee. And that you have to have your finger on the pulse of what your customers want and what they need. And how were you able to develop that pulse or get that pulse and then translate what you were picking up on that pulse into decisions that now may be, not be the right time to, to roll out ABAC training or someone in Houston, Texas may not need to know about GDPR compliance. How were you able to use that information to help guide your decisions? Yeah, yeah, I guess high level again, situational awareness, right? And data, I would use data. You would, I would look at the investigation trends. I would look at our training completion rate trends. I would look at our conflicts of interest disclosures. We would try, it was difficult because we didn't have a tool, but we would try to track the sorts of inquiries that came to the compliance officers, like a ticketing, customer service hotline type tracking in order to figure out what it is people were comfortable with, familiar with, what they needed more information on. We started pulling data on uh, code, opening and opening the code document, where in the code were people looking. So really using data analytics and, and reviewing that and analyzing it to figure out where we needed to focus our efforts, our attention, and our resources. Maria, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us next time for our fourth and final episode where we're going to explore your current role at Treliant, but also talk about the sum up your career and the lessons you learn moving up to the CCO chair and in the CCO chair to help current CCOs 
do compliance better. I greatly look forward to continuing this conversation. Thank you, Tom. Me too. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. In The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.